Sunday, but we are going to actually continue in our series in the Gospel of John. There's a a portion here of John 15 that we're going to finish today. Um, We won't finish the entire chapter, but we'll at least kind of finish this section of what Jesus is saying before we uh, celebrate Easter next week. So let's go ahead and pray together this morning. Father, may we respond to your word this morning, believing the words of what we just sang. We don't know the day or the hour, but we know that at any moment our king could arrive, that Jesus could return whenever you decide is the moment for it to happen, which you've already decided we just don't know. Father, may we not be asleep, but may we be awake, ready, with our lanterns lit, waiting for our King to arrive. So as we hear your word this morning, may we take it seriously and may we apply it to our lives in a real way, seeking to have a life that is ready for Jesus. While we long for that day of all eternity, of no more crying, no more dying, may we, as long as we still live in this broken world, seek to be those who honor Christ and live like Christ. So help us this morning, by your Spirit, to hear your word and to have our hearts inclined towards it, that we would meditate on it, and that we would live by it this week. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a sticker on the back of the window of our car that is a parking pass from when I had to travel back and forth to the seminary so I could park on the campus. Now, the sticker expired in the summer of 2021, but I haven't removed it from the window. Any thoughts on why not? Because when I come out to the parking lot in Walmart now, I know which car is mine. There's a distinguishing mark of, I could have five other vehicles that look just like mine, yet I know right away from the back window which one is mine. As Jesus approaches the time for him to depart from his disciples... He wants them to have a distinguishing mark about them. He just told them in last week's passage that they prove themselves to be his disciples, to belong to him by bearing fruit that glorifies the Father. And at the very beginning of Jesus' instruction on his last night with his disciples, all the way back in chapter 13, he told them what? All people will know you're my disciples if you love one another. Jesus continues that instruction, that teaching on loving one another in our passage this morning. As the disciples, as the branches, abide in Jesus as the vine, what we saw last week, they will find themselves not just abiding in Jesus, but abiding in Jesus' love for them. And as they abide in his love, they then are to extend that love to one another. 
and to do so in a way that displays, that exhibits the way that Jesus loved them. The distinguishing mark for disciples of Jesus is a life of love. A life that is first spurred on by His love for us, and then a life that extends that and resembles His love as we love one another. So let's look at what a life of love is in our passage this morning. John chapter 15. We're going to pick up on verse 9. John 15 verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another." Jesus begins this portion of his teaching by expressing his love for his disciples. And resulting from his love for them, they then are supposed to live their lives in a specific way. They are to live as someone loved. Those who abide in Jesus as the vine find themselves abiding in Jesus' love. They find themselves loved by Jesus. And to be loved by Jesus should profoundly impact the way that we live our lives. Look first at verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. So Jesus begins with his relationship to the Father. First, Jesus is loved by the Father. Now imagine that type of love. Imagine the love that exists within the relationship of the Trinity. It's not some whimsical love, right, that just comes and goes based on the other person's performance. It's not some manipulative attempt to say, well, I'm going to do this and love you as long as I can get this back from you. It's not some obligation of, well, I guess I have to love this person. This is perfect, eternal, unconditional love. But then notice how Jesus compares it. He is loved by the Father, but then what's he say? As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. So the same way the Father loves the Son is the way the Son loves his disciples, or loves you and me who belong to him. Jesus loves us in the same way that the Father and the Son and the Trinity love each other. Whatever flaws of love you've ever experienced in life is not the experience you will have with the love of Jesus. His love is not earned, it's not forced, 
It's not lacking in any way. In fact, notice the transition he makes later in verse 15. What's he say? No longer do I call you servants, but what's he call them later? But I have called you friends. We're no longer servants, servants like earning their way in order to have the affections of their master, but they're friends. The depths of his love for us is much more than just external obedience like a servant might have. It's his love for us is perfect, just like his father's love for him. Now, unfortunately, most of our world, even many people calling themselves Christians, would stop there and go home for the day, wouldn't they? The Father loves the Son. The Son loves us as disciples. Go about your way, have lunch, and have a good week. But Jesus gives a command, even within verse 9. What's he say? Abide in my love. While you can't do anything to earn the right to receive Jesus' love, this love that he does have for us should stir us to act, to live in a certain way. In fact, that's the example Jesus gives in verse 10. right? The second part, he says, Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, So he just shared how he is loved by the Father, but then he immediately makes it clear that this relationship of love between Son and Father produces a way of life for the Son. He does everything the Father commands him because he knows he is loved by his Father and he wants to abide, remain, stay in that state of love. His way of life, his obeying the Father's commands, is not, it's not, not, Not an attempt to earn the Father's love, but it's a result of already being in the Father's love. I saw a video this week. It was like from back the 60s or 70s, I don't know, but they were doing kind of a research attempt on children. And it showed how the way children have been treated by their parents affects the way that they even do the most simple tasks in life. So they first showed these blocks given to two children who had a normal relationship with their parents, who had an experience of love and care. And these children had the blocks set in front of them, and they immediately start grabbing them and putting them in their mouth, or they start stacking them into a tower and knocking it over, whatever it is. But they interact. They start interacting with these blocks. But then it switched to children who had been removed from their parents and placed in some sort of institution or home because of neglect. And they put these blocks in front of these children who had a severe lack of experience of love. And these children barely even touched the blocks. In fact, the second one that they showed, you could tell this little girl's eyes just aching, looking around at every adult in the room, just craving that one of them would show her some sense of attention and love. So even within our earthly relationships, of earthly parent-child relationships, being loved by someone changes the way that we interact with the world. How much more is that true with Jesus, who loves us with a perfect love? How much more should we find our lives changed in accord with what he tells us, 
with the commands he gives us, that we would want to walk more deeply with him, that we would want to abide, remain in that love. And that's what he tells us to do in verse 10. Jesus, being loved by the Father, keeps the Father's commands and abides in that love, so we also are are to submit ourselves to Jesus' commands and abide in his love for us. And there's a wealth of commands just in the Gospel of John that we've already seen up until this point. Right? This isn't even talking about the rest of Scripture, but let me just give you a little rundown of the commands we've seen in the Gospel of John. Jesus says, believe in me, drink my living water, come to me for life, feed on me as the bread of life, follow me as the light of the world, love me as I come from the Father, hear my voice as your good shepherd, wash each other's feet, love one another, let not your hearts be troubled, don't be afraid. As we find ourselves walking in the love that Jesus has for us, we grow in trusting him more, and we grow in living for him more. And one command, one specific command of faith and obedience is repeated twice in our passage this morning. Look at the summarization he gives of all of it at the end of verse 17. These things I command you so that you will love one another. If keeping his commands means, is what it means to abide in his love, here's a specific command given to us to abide in his love, to love one another. This is how our lives ought to look if we're abiding in the love of Jesus. In fact, Jesus makes it abundantly clear that this is a, a very purpose as to why he has chosen us to be his followers. We are chosen to love. It wasn't an aimless decision. He chose each of us who belong to him to live in a specific way, to live this life of love. Look at verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. So if you are in the love of Jesus, if you are connected to him as a branch is to the vine, if you've believed in him, you feed on him, you follow him, it's because first and foremost, Jesus chose you to be in that relationship. Right? Remember back in chapter 6, no one comes to Jesus unless he is first drawn by the Father. Not chosen because we're so wonderful, not chosen because we're so loyal, not chosen because we're so full of faith, but because God, by his grace, through his spirit, and for his glory, saved us, made us born again as we trust in Jesus. But we were not only chosen to be saved, we were chosen to be fruitful. That's what verse 16 tells us. I chose you and appointed you for what? That you should go and bear fruit. And what is that fruit? Well, we saw it last week, right? Jesus is the vine and us as the branches. First and foremost, the fruit matches the vine, right? So it's a Christ-like fruit. But we also talked about the Holy Spirit who comes and dwells in us when we believe in Jesus. So we produce the fruit of the Spirit, what is one of the fruit of the Spirit that we see show up in our passage this morning? Love, 
as those saved by Jesus, we receive his love, which then produces in us a love for him and a love for each other. This is what we are chosen for, he says. I have chosen you to produce fruit. And it's not just any kind of fruit, it's not just any kind of love, but what does verse 16 tell us about this fruit? You should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. It must continue, it must last, it must stay. This fruit that Jesus has chosen for us to produce is eternal fruit. We should not be content with a love for Jesus that comes and goes based on what day of the week it is. We should not think it's true love for a fellow church member if we tell someone, I'll pray for you this week, and then we never do. Our fruit is to last, to not stop, to keep going, because true fruit, true love, realizes that how we live right now affects our eternity. Does that sound awfully heavy? That what we do in these little moments of our daily lives has eternal ramifications. It should. And that's why Jesus gives this the beautiful reminder here that it's not done on our own. The last part of verse 16. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, He may give it to you. You can't do it on your own. You must be dependent on the Father to give it to you as you pray and ask Him in the name of Jesus to produce this fruit, particularly the fruit of love in your life. He gives the fruit. He helps us to love each other more. He produces it in a way that abides into all eternity But he only does it as we come to him and request it from him with a desire that we want to make Jesus' name known in our lives and in the lives of the people we're to be loving. And Jesus says, this is what you were chosen to do. I once had a job at a credit union as a loan officer. I was really good with numbers. I was pretty good with relationships and interacting with people, so I thought I'd be good at the job. However, I quickly realized that the part of the job description was get as many people into debt as possible, many times for items that they didn't really need. I became very torn over using my God-given abilities for what I saw as an unhealthy way to manage finances. So it was within a year that I left that job. I simply couldn't fit the job description. As Christians... Part of our job description is to bear fruit, to love one another. If that's not something you want to do, or something you're not willing to try to do, you might not want to identify yourself as a Christian. Jesus tells us here that this fruit, this love, is specifically what you and I have been chosen to do. It's part of the job description. But then that leaves us with a question of how are we supposed to do this? We may see clearly, okay, Jesus loves us. 
We are supposed to remain in that love by loving him and by keeping his commands, which includes a love for one another, right? Vertical and horizontal relationships. But what does that actually look like in a practical way? What does it actually look like to bear fruit, to love one another? Well, if you look at verse 12, we start to see the answer. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. It's not how we define love. It's not how the world defines love that is our example of how to love. We are to love as Jesus loved. And as we get into this second paragraph of this passage, I think we see two specific components to loving as Jesus loved. We are to love who Jesus loved, and we are to love how Jesus loved. So first, let's look at how we should love who Jesus loved. As we saw before in verse 15, Jesus renames his disciples, right? You are no longer servants, but I call you friends. So when Jesus gives this command then to these disciples, love one another, who's he talking about? Love those that I call friend. That's what he's telling them. Those I call my friends, you are to love. Love one another. I call you friends. Not who you call a friend, but who Jesus declares to be his friend. And in these verses, we see three descriptions of those who are friends of Jesus. First, continuing in verse 15, I have called you friends, For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. So Jesus has made known the Father to his friends. This was true of the disciples, and it's true of each one of us who trust in Jesus, isn't it? We trust in Jesus because Jesus has given us a glimpse of God himself. We have seen the grace and the truth of who God is displayed in Jesus particularly in his life, death, resurrection, and exaltation. And so we see God in Jesus. We see the Father displayed in Jesus. And so we hear and respond to the truth of God as Jesus speaks it and shows it. But we respond in the way the rest of the world doesn't. Right? Because Jesus has made known these things to his disciples. Has Jesus taught these things to other Jewish people? But they have not believed, right? There's a difference. He has revealed these things to his disciples. He has made known the Father to them. The second description of Jesus' friends is one we already saw in verse 16. These friends were chosen by Jesus. The disciples did not get to decide who was part of the twelve. If you remember that story, right, Jesus didn't call his disciples and say, now who do you think should be the core 12 of you? He chose them. In fact, none of these disciples just randomly heard about Jesus and said, I'm going to go to Jesus and ask if I can follow. Jesus came to them, right? He comes to the tax collector. He comes to the fisherman and says, come, follow me. So Jesus chose them. Mike went out. So Jesus chose them. Jesus revealed the Father to them. And last, in verse 14, 
What's he say? You are my friends if you do what I command you. Jesus calls those friends who do what he has commanded them to do. These friends of Jesus are loved by Jesus, and they're stirred to a life of love as Jesus calls them to. Friends of Jesus abide in Jesus' love and obey Jesus' words. Now, why is this important for us to realize? Because what we see in these verses is who determines who Jesus' friends are. Jesus does. Jesus chose the disciples. Jesus revealed the Father to them. And he's the one who connects them to the vine in order that they may bear fruit and do his commands. Since this is true, what does that mean for you and me? We don't get to pick and choose who we're supposed to love. When Jesus says, love one another, he's calling us to love the ones he has chosen the ones he has revealed the Father to, the one he is producing fruit in. If your love for one another is based on who you like, who you get along with, who you think deserves your time, you're not loving the ones that Jesus has called you to love. That includes both people you might not like inside the church and the people you might not like outside the church. You don't know whom Jesus will choose to save, So you don't get to decide who should or who should not hear the gospel message. You are called to love those that he has placed in the fellowship of believers. And you are called to proclaim Jesus' love to those outside the fellowship of believers because he may choose to graft them into the fellowship of believers. So we love those whom he loved. And that brings us to the second component of loving as Jesus loved. We are to love how Jesus loved. He does not share who we are, just share who we're supposed to love, particularly our brothers and sisters in Christ. But he gives a clear statement on how he loves and thus how we are supposed to love. The famous verse 13 that we read here, right? Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friend. The greatest act of love that someone could ever do is lay down his life for another. Sacrifice of one's own self. And this is exactly what Jesus does for us as his friends. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were enemies of God, Jesus dies that we might be reconciled to God. Jesus is put forth as a payment for our sins, suffering the wrath of his own Father who loves him so that you and I might be forgiven and cleansed as we trust in him. The greatest act of love anyone could ever do is the act of love that we're about to celebrate on Good Friday, the one that we remember and rejoice in as Jesus went to the cross for our sake. But it doesn't stop there. Because what's he say? He shares greater love has no one than this. And he lays down his life for his friends. But what's he calling his friends to do? To love one another. 
As we look at this greatest act of love of Jesus laying down his own life, we now are to follow in his footsteps, laying down our lives for one another. John states this plainly later in his letter of 1 John. We're all very familiar with John 3.16, aren't we? Let's go to 1 John 3.16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. My friends, does this sound like us? How many of us would be willing to lay down our own life for a fellow member of this church? Some of you are making a list in your head right now. Maybe that one, but not that one, right? Got this short list of those you'd be willing to give your life for and a long list of those you would not. But seriously... If John walked in and said, as Switzerland Baptist Church, what evidences do you have of your love for one another? What would we offer him? Well, I show up and sing sometimes on Sunday mornings. I put some money into the offering plate. Sometimes when I don't have somewhere to be, a lunch to be to afterwards, I may even stay and talk to people afterwards. And when I'm feeling really sacrificial, I volunteer for VBS or Children's Church. My friends, those are all great things. They are. So don't hear me knocking them. We should sing. We should be generous. We should talk to each other. We should find ways to serve in the church. But can we at least be honest here? Those acts are drastically different than laying down our lives for one another. There's a drastic difference between those two things. Jesus took on wrath of the Father for you, physically dying on the cross. Are we willing to demonstrate anything that remotely resembles that same love? What can you do? What can you do to lay down your own life? Lay down your time? Take an evening that you might have free time and Invite somebody you don't know very well from the church over so that you can love on them. Or invite someone to meet you for lunch so that you can encourage them and care for them. Or lay down one of your hobbies that you really enjoy doing that you might commit yourself more sacrificially to serving each other in some way. Or maybe lay down your finances and use your money and your possessions to be generous with someone that you find is in need. Remember, that's what they did in Acts, right? They were all going and selling their possessions and giving to those who had need. What would you sell in your house that you might meet the need financially for someone? And in love, in love for the community around us, right? We're going from inside the church to outside the church. We need to go to all of these people around us that are chasing after the drugs, the alcohol, the relationships, or any other earthly treasure that they're chasing after, and proclaim to them Christ's death and resurrection offers what really will satisfy them in life. A relationship with God himself. 
that they also need to be brought in and grafted into the vine to become a branch who has a source of life in Jesus. If we abide in the love of Christ, we will lay down our lives like Christ. And as we finish here, I want to call your attention to one final point. Joy in a life of love. To love one another as Jesus has loved us, to lay down our lives for one another, is not a boring life filled with only obligation. It is a life of joy. Look at verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. As we rest in Christ's love for us, We're stirred to live a life of love, love for him, love for one another. As we do so, we abide in his love. But abiding in his love means what? We also receive his joy. Jesus has already spoken so far to his disciples regarding he's going to give them peace. He's talked about his love that he has for them. But now he says joy. Jesus was able to lay down his own life with joy. He didn't go to the cross under compulsion, somehow forced to do that which he was really unhappy about doing. Hebrews tells us he went through it, he endured the cross with the joy that was set before him. There was a joy for him in doing so. If Jesus can die for our sins... Have the Father himself who loves him turn his face away from his own son. And Jesus can do all of that with joy. How much more can you and I lay down our own lives with joy? He says that's what he'll do. He says that my joy may be in you. He will give us a joy, a delight, a pleasure that overrides the circumstances. And he even states what at the very end? That your joy may be full. My friends, whatever joy you think you'll have from having that free time in the evening. Whatever joy you think you'll have from working those extra hours and making that extra money, whatever joy you think you'll experience in the pleasures of this world, I promise you this. Jesus offers a fuller joy. Jesus offers a better joy. But it's only found as we rest in his sacrificial love for us and then as we turn and lay down our lives for one another. Will you do that? Will you abide in his love? Will you give up your own life so that you can spend your life loving others? And as you do so, find a fullness of joy that you can find nowhere else. Will you make the decision to live a life of love? Do we believe this, church? Do we believe what Jesus says there? That as we lay down our lives for one another, 
there is a pleasure, a delight that can be found nowhere else. I hope we do. I hope at least in our heads we say, yes, this is true. Our hearts may still be trying to catch up to it. But I hope that what we know to be true in his word will lead us to actually live it out and our hearts will follow. We will find that true fullness of joy as we sacrifice, lay down our lives for each other. Let's pray together. Father, we get so bombarded with pleasures offered by the world. Help us to realize there's no greater joy than the joy of Christ that he gives to us as we abide in him. And help us to remember abiding in him. Part of that is to extend his love for us to each other. Father, may we, by your grace, empowered by your spirit, motivated by Christ's love for us, may we lay down our lives for each other. May we be willing to sacrifice any of our earthly treasures if it means eternal fruit of loving our brothers and sisters. And may we also sacrifice to make known this love to the people around us who aren't in Christ. May we be deeply saddened as we watch people chasing earthly treasures and missing the joy that can only be found in Jesus. Help us to proclaim the truth and the grace of Jesus to them, that they also might be a branch connected to the vine, that they might also abide in your love, that they also will go and bear fruit, and that they also, along with us, will find fullness of joy. Help us this week for this to be true of our lives as we abide in Jesus. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.